0: Just a word of wisdom. If you ever decide to teach a Sunday school class the same day you have a child baptized, don't do that. That idea. <laughs> that idea. I feel like I've run a marathon and I'm at the starting line for another. Um, okay. All right. I'm going um, to pray. All right, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and your loving kindness. We thank you for your care for us. Thank you for your presence here in the Holy Spirit. And I, I pray that this time would be useful. I pray that you would speak. Um, I pray this would be about you and your glory. And um, I pray that you would comfort and heal. us ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so um, first question. Anybody here have a child who lives in another city? College? Rita? Where's your child? Columbus, Ohio, Chattanooga, Atlanta, and Florence, Italy. Florence, Italy. Anybody else? Lavanda. To Nashville. To Nashville. Sybil, yours is exciting. Tell us. France and Baton Rouge. Equally as exotic. Um, cool. Okay. So yes, Dominican, Dominican Republic. That's, that is pretty exotic too. Uh, so I have I have uh, three children. One of my children lives in heaven. Uh, most of you, um, most of you know that. Um, but, you know, in the same way that if you have a child who goes to a college, so if your kid went to Texas or UVA, um, or Ohio State, you all of a sudden become very interested in where your child is. You know, you, you buy the t-shirt, right? (laughs) And you, you all of a sudden are interested in their sports teams. You're all of a sudden a Texas Longhorns fan or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, you're, you know, kind of excited about the campus, you learn about the campus, you might sign up for their Twitter account, you check their website, all that kind of stuff. So, because I have a child who lives in heaven, I'm, I'm particularly interested in heaven. And so, with this class, um, and by the way, I'm not the only person in this room who has children who live in heaven. You know, there are people who've lost children, you know, like in the same way that I have, but there are also people who've had miscarriages or stillborn children or people who's, you know, just, just pregnancies that ended early. And, uh, your child lives in heaven. Like, you'll meet your child someday. Uh, my, uh, I have four siblings who live in heaven. My mom had four miscarriages before I was born. So I have four siblings who live in heaven. And so, um, so, uh, my hope is that this will be, um, something that is hopeful and helpful for you if you're in that boat. And regardless of whether you're in that boat, um, this will be, uh, this will be something that will sanctify you. And here's what I've found. I think about heaven far more than I ever used to. Someone who I used to live with every day and who, you know, very tangibly, you know, one day, uh, I'll just tell it, sorry, tell the story because there are a lot of new people in the church now, but um, my, I had a three-year-old child and he was about three and a quarter years old. One Sunday, he told us that he wanted to go see Jesus and he wanted to go, you know, wanted to go get in the car, go see Jesus. And he uh, then he started to ask some questions about heaven, like, "What am I going to meet Adam and Eve in heaven?" and um, that kind of stuff. And then he really he made a profession of faith. He talked about how Jesus died for my sins. Uh, Jesus died on the cross. Okay. And then you know I went off on a night trip, and that that night my child died. He just he passed away in his sleep, and we we don't know. It's it's classified as sudden unexplained death Sin, uh, in childhood, which is a medical way of comforting parents, but really. It Just means we don 't have no idea what your child died from so um, so anyhow so f- with for me, I think about heaven a lot it 's a lot more concrete for me than it used to be. It used to be very abstract, but I have a child who has a real life in heaven, he has real friends, he has family, he eats meals, he plays, he explores he 's with Jesus, he sings, he does all kinds of things so and it 's a little bit easier when you, when you have a child who 's kind of at the beginning of their life in human terms. When they die, because you think like he's going to live a full, you know, his full life, like his teenagers. I don't really, actually, I don't really know how that works. <laughs> but, um, you know, if he's going you know, to, because I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that he'll be a little three and a half year old when I get there. Um, but, um, but uh, so it's, it's a very real thing for me. And so what I noticed over the last year when I was been reading the epistles of the apostles, say that five times, the epistles of the apostles, um, is that. Uh, and just to kind of, uh, we uh, not to use churchy language, but in the, if you're not super familiar with the New Testament, the first four books are the Gospels, and those are about the, you know, the life and the teachings of Jesus. Then you have the book of Acts, which is about the, the formation of the church. And then you have the epistles, which are letters from the apostles to people or to churches, so they're very, very personal. And on top of that, the apostles were people pretty much all of them who saw Jesus resurrected. They saw Jesus alive. They saw, some of them saw him die. And then they saw him risen from the dead in a, um, you know, in a bodily form. So, so think about this. They have their, the person they love the most, that they respect the most, that they follow, and they see him ascend into heaven. Like, that's not mythology, like, historic Christianity does not view that as, like, a mythological thing. Like, that was an actual event. They saw a person physically rise into the heavens. So, for the apostles, they have a very similar mindset as I do, in the sense of someone that they love is, is in heaven, and um, consequently, you see in their writings, they talk about heaven all the time. It is very real in their mindset. It's very influential in their life and in their teaching. And so you see like for example the apostle Paul in the book of Philippians very short book only 4 chapters mentions heaven 7 different times in the book now it's you know it's phrases like we wait for his coming in glory or it is better for me you know to be in heaven with him or our citizenship is in heaven it's not like there's a full block of content about heaven but uh, but there are constant references throughout that so um so what i've noticed what i've kind of been doing over the last year is looking at how paralleling how having a child having a far more concrete and real view and understanding of heaven has influenced me and seeing in a similar way how it had, how it influenced and played out in the faith of the apostles. So with this class, um, uh, they're kind of this is a three week series. This week, we're going to talk about what it means to uh, seek things that are above and uh, from Colossians 3. Next week we're going to talk about how it is that the hope of heaven suffers people, or suffers people, comforts people who are in suffering. Um, Yeah, you see in the books that are most targeted about suffering, there are tons of references to heaven. And then, um, so, um, and the last one is going to be how it is that the thinking about heaven sanctifies you, how it makes you more like Christ, How it uh, leads you to repentance from sin and how it uh, gives you a mindset that's more focused on mission and evangelism. And so three purposes here today are going to be one, to increase your knowledge about heaven. Now, this might be a total fail, but I'm going to give it a shot. Okay, I've got two sheets of paper here. Let me see how well prepared I am with a blank sheet of paper and a pencil. Um, And what I want you to do, I'm going to pass it around. And on one sheet, I want you to write down the number of years that you have been in the church. You can make an estimate. No need to get, you know, too too uh too detailed on that. But say, you know, you, you grew up in church your first 20 years, you took your twenties off, came back in your 30s, you're forty now. You can say like, you know, I've been in the church for around 30 years, okay? And then I want you to write down on the other sheet of paper the number of lessons that you have heard on heaven. Uh, I would say that heaven is one of the most neglected doctrines in the church. Um, here you go. Start here. Here's a pencil. It's one of the most neglected doctrines in the church. To give you evidence of that, uh, Berkhoff's Systematic Theology. It's, a, it's a, a Dutch Reformed theologian. It's standard systematic theology in any kind of Reformed-leaning seminary. And uh, it is a ni- over 900 pages, and there are two pages dedicated to heaven or the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, David Martin Lloyd-Jones, his systematic theology is over 800 pages long one page dedicated to heaven, the new heavens and the new earth. Burkhoff has 50 pages dedicated to baptism uh, and two dedicated to where we'll live for eternity. Um, so I think it's a, a very neglected teaching in the church. Um, second, uh, second is hopefully this will encourage you to think about heaven, to have a, a, a more of a mindset um, and think about it more in your daily life as a part of your faith because it's extremely sanctifying and hopeful. All right, so the main text where we're going to work from today is um, by the way, there's a really pretty painting someone uh, a painter was praying for us about a week after our child died. and uh, while she's praying for us, she she had this vision and that is her, that is her depiction for this vision she had of my child in the arms of Christ in heaven. Pretty spectacular. Um, but Colossians 3 one through four, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. All right, so first thing I'm going to do is just walk through this text in a, in a cursory manner. Um, am I kind of in the way? Am I in the way? No? All right, it's all good. Um, all right, so first... The the, the basic point of what Paul is trying to get across to the the church at Colossae is to think about heaven more. Make it more a part of your daily meditation. That's kind of the bottom line. Um, But it starts out and he says, If then you've been raised with Christ. So basically, this is a reference. Like, if you're a Christian, like if you're a person who has uh, had your sins forgiven by Christ, then you should seek things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, it would be tempta- when I used to read this. There was a temptation to uh, think of th- things that are above as just like spiritual things, you know, the Bible or Christian truth. But you see, he he qualifies things that are above. He says, "Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God." So he is specific. He's not talking just about like truth. He's talking specifically and concretely about heaven. And something that is interesting. I thought about is I started to read about heaven and other world religions. And also, in particular, salvation. Like, how does a person get into heaven? And one thing that is very interesting that I found about Christianity is that really Christianity is probably the only world religion where you could actually seek things that are above because, and Christianity is really, and it's, you don't want to make generalizations of other world religions because there's a lot of diversity within different religions. There's, there's diversity within Islam and with Buddhism and Hinduism and so on and so forth. But in general, a person has no assurance of salvation in other world religions because their acceptance, whether they you know, end up in heaven or in hell in the afterlife, is dependent upon their performance. So in Islam, I've heard people say this, and I was like, I should probably read the Quran and see if it's true. It's actually true. In the Quran, the image for salvation is, at the end of your life, if you have um, more good deeds than bad deeds, if they outweigh the, the bad deeds on the scale, then you're in. But if you've got more bad deeds, then you're going to hell in Islam. And so how can anyone quantify their deeds, Right. And I don't know about you, but I'd be, I mean, I, there wouldn't be any, there wouldn't be lack of clarity for me. I, I know exactly where I'd be going because there are about 50, you know, fits of anger, jealous thoughts, uh, you know, fear, profanity, whatever it is for every like good thing I do. So there, there would be plenty of clarity for me. Um, but anyhow, but you really don't know. A Muslim really doesn't know at the end of their life where they're going. Uh, and same thing with Hinduism and Buddhism. Uh, you know, it's it's either you're going to... You'll end up... Um, it's, it, again, depends on if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. And you might end up being reincarnated back into the fallen world. That would be incredibly... That would be despair-filling for me. Um, in a different state. Anyhow, you just don't know. You really don't know. But in Christianity, if like... The question is, have you asked Jesus to forgive your sins? Like, who are you depending on? Yourself or Jesus? And if you're like... I'm trusting Jesus. I'm trusting that I'm asking Jesus to forgive my sins. Then you're in. And you have clarity on that. And you actually do have certainty that your home is in heaven. That is is where you're going eternally. And so so this is a unique blessing of Christianity that we actually can be like, hey, that's where I'm headed. I know where I'm headed because Jesus has forgiven my sins. All right. So next, he says, um, he says, set your mind on things that are above not on things that are on earth. And so again, he's kind of reiterating the same thing. And, um, but this, this, this is a little bit different in the sense that he's saying like your expectation should be on things above, not in things of this earth. And this is, this is very convicting for me. Think about how you know, kind of dissatisfied we can be with our lives, you know, different things about our life. You might be dissatisfied with your health. You might just be like, gosh, I wish I had a better house. Uh, I, I I you know I wish I had more money um, you know I, I wish I had a better body, whatever it is that you 're dissatisfied with well, of course you are because God has a mansion that he has designed perfectly for you in heaven it 's probably made of pure gold, so of course you 're dissatisfied, no matter where you live you know, if, even if you live in a castle, if you live in Versailles. You should be dissatisfied compared to the house that you'll live in forever in heaven or in the restored earth, or you know your body. You you know in the restored, you're going to have a new body. You're going to have a perfect body with no, um, you know, no, no inner tube that we're working on here. Uh, No love, no, no, you know, no, no sickness, no eczema. Lord Jesus, my children and their eczema. No eczema for Cam in heaven. Good gravy. Can you only put aquaphor on a child so many times? <laughs> anyhow. So, anyhow, so he's saying like, yeah, don't, don't, don't ex, you know, don't put your expectation on things here. That's why I think bucket lists are kind of overrated. Because anything that you can do here on earth, you're going to be able to do in the restored earth. And so we don't, we don't just need to like panic that we're just, you know, the FOMO, fear of missing out, right? We don't, we need to die to FOMO because Anything that you love and you know want to do it is going to be on offer for you in heaven and the restored earth. All right. The second thing he says: "For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ." So when he says you have died, he's saying you have died to sin and death. Like you are no longer under their dominion. As it says here at the beginning, that you've been raised to Christ. You have been raised to life. You are now under Christ, and you are now born to life. And now you're a citizen. Your citizenship is in heaven. So um, so he's just making clear, and you are hidden with Christ and God that, that speaks of union with God, and i'll, I'll give um, um, i 'll give a little bit of uh, more explanation on that. all right, so then finally, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. all right, so now he's talking about the second coming of Christ, and we 're going to get into the details between the difference between heaven and the restored earth in a minute so um Mary Matthews, glad you made it today. Um, all right, so three things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about, first, what makes heaven heaven. The second thing we're going to talk about is the phases of heaven, like what, what is heaven like in, you know, like five minutes. And then we're going to talk about what does it mean to seek things that are above. Okay, so what is going to be different? What makes heaven different from earth? First thing is that absence of sin. When you go to heaven, you are no longer capable of sin. And, so, and that is true of everyone else who is there. So, consequently, all of the stuff that creates difficulty in our life, uh, you know, in relationships and conflict and messiness, it'll, it'll all be done. No more drama. No drama in heaven because you're not capable of sinning ever again. You have a perfected will that is like Christ's. Secondly, the absence of evil. There will be no longer evil. There will no longer be Satan. There won't be bad things in heaven. So that will be, that will be gone. Um, The absence of the effects of the fall. So everything, you got to get clear, everything that is bad on the earth is a product of sin. It's a product of the broken relationship between man and God. Uh, The cosmos are broken. They're damaged forever until Christ returns because of sin. So even things like tsunami waves all go back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and and Eve. It It made things out of order and things off. And so that's one thing, you know, like if you're not a Christian, you're kind of exploring it to think about is we can all agree that something's off in the world. And that's where Christianity kind of locates the the beginning of that. Uh, And then finally, the thing I'm going to talk about here is union with Christ, union with Christ. So um, I uh, I was talking about this with my wife and she said, Cameron, that's too abstract. I don't understand what you're really understand what you're saying. And then I told my friend who has a graduate degree from Harvard the same thing. I was thinking like, that's just Lauren. And then he's like, he's like, Cameron, hey, I have no idea what you're saying. And I was like, looks like the problem is me and my, my communication skills here. <laughs> not my wife, not my friend with the, uh, the fancy graduate degree. Um, but anyhow, so when Christ, when uh, in verse three, when he talks about you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, uh, that means you are one with God and you are, you have union with Christ. And a concrete way of thinking about that is, think about a bride and a groom, uh, the day of their wedding and on their honeymoon. They're totally in love, everything's great, feel completely connected, feel like, you know, there's, there's this deep mutual knowing, they're on a cloud, and that is an image that the Bible uses of oneness, of union with Christ, the, uh, Christ, uh, the, the bride and the bridegroom. And so that is, that, so think about, you know, that if you have, hopefully, hopefully you had like a euphoric wedding day, (laughs) but, um, but anyhow, that is your permanent state in heaven with Christ and with everyone. And, uh, consequently, but it'll be much better because there won't be sin. You won't be in the fallen world, but that kind of connectedness that a bride and groom feel on their wedding day, you will feel with Christ and with everyone else because of union with Christ. That is good stuff. You know, that is, that is something very, very hopeful. Um, and so um, and so. one thing I think about a lot is if you're a Christian, when you become a Christian, you enter into union with Christ. But you don't experience the richness of that because you still have sin and because you're still in the fallen world. But you'll realize the, the perfection of that when you're in heaven. And so something that's hopeful if you have a loved one who lives in heaven is that it's, you know, you are one with Christ, they are one with Christ, and like Christ is the thing that connects you. Um, you are both hidden with Christ in God. Okay, think about that. Hidden. That's almost like God has you in a huge bear hug, uh, such that no one can even see you. He, he's like consumed you in his embrace. Well, your loved one is also in the embrace of God in a similar way. So probably one thing I think about is one of the deepest ways that I feel connected with my child. And one of the ways that I'm most motivated to connect with Christ is because of union with Christ. The more I feel connected with Christ, the more I have a sense of connectedness with my child, because it's like, it's like Christ is the oak tree, and it's a, but it's a really big oak tree that you can't see on the other side. And so it's like when I embrace the oak tree, who is Christ, my child is embracing the oak tree on the other side. Can't see him, but we're holding the same oak tree. And the oak tree is Jesus. Awfully metaphorical, but hopefully that works. Um, so so that is union with Christ. And that is one of the defining things about heaven. And that is why, the, that is why you know, uh, oftentimes people who are um, outside of the church hear Christians say that like, well, it doesn't matter how good a person you're, you are. Um, y- no matter how moral you are, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't save you. That doesn't, like, give you assurance of salvation. And it's because heaven is not for, defined by the morality of the people. It's not like, well, heaven's so good because everyone here was just so darn good. Heaven is good because the people there have been forgiven and have entered into union with Christ. That's, that's an aspect of why it's so good. So, so anyhow, so that's just a, another little thought there. Um, all right. So, one other little thought on that. Yeah, I've got time for that thought, Um, is as soon as you become a Christian and you enter into union with Christ, it's like your home changes. Paul says in Philippians 3, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So our citizenship is in heaven. Peter uses this language, too. He talks about how we are elect exiles. We are now foreigners in this world. That's another translation of that word. We're foreigners. So, like, we're not meant for this world. Our home is in heaven, and we're, like, getting closer to our real home, our true home, because that's where we're going to be for, like, eternity. Trillions of years, right? We're just here for a very short period of time. All right, so next. Phases of heaven. Um, Notice... Notice in Colossians 3 how first Paul talks about, if you've been raised with Christ, seat things that are above where Christ is, like where Christ presently is, seated at the right hand of God. And then at the end he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And, um, and so here's the thing. If, if a person dies today, or like for my child, my child is in what people, theologians call the present heaven. Some, they sometimes call it the intermediate state. And it's almost, in its hey, we're going to talk about it. It's really good. It's a really good place to be. Um, but that's not the final destination. Because the ultimate destination is for heaven and earth to merge. Heaven and earth to come together so that the existence of heaven is present in this world. This will be a perfect place again. Eden will be restored, but actually it'll be even better because the serpent, Satan, and evil is completely banished forever. So there's no, no, there's no shot of them coming back. And, and you, actually our will is actually enhanced in the restored earth as compared to Adam and Eve because they could sin, as we know, and, uh, and we cannot sin in the restored earth. So, so anyhow, so just a little bit of clarity on what we're talking about as far as the present heaven versus the intermediate state. And some things we know about um, heaven now is that you'll be in perfect relationship with God and everybody else? You'll experience perfect joy forever. So if you think about the best moment of your entire life, your entire life—I don't know if it was when you had your, you know, had your child, or you got married, or you saw Alabama win the 2012 national title—I don't know what it was for you. Um, but take that moment, capture that moment and magnify it times a million. Your worst moment in heaven will be a million times better than your best moment on earth. And it will be like that forever. That's really good news. We can get down with that. Another thing about heaven is you will see the fullness of all of God's glory, all of God's beauty. So let's think about this. Think about the most beautiful art you have ever seen. Think about if you ever made it to the Louvre or you've gone to the National Gallery of Art or to the Met, the most beautiful painting you've ever seen, or if you've heard beautiful music, uh, I will say the most beautiful music I've ever heard, they did a, the Advent Choir, did a uh, concert, uh, as, far as Requiem, it's as as did, I blow that, Fred Tiardo, uh, God bless, he's, he's so patient with me, I'm so pitiful with all this classical music stuff, but anyhow, they did a concert in October, it was the most beautiful music I've ever heard, Think about the most beautiful place geographically you've ever gone to, whether that's the Grand Canyon, Great Barrier Reef, Smoky Mountains, wherever it may be. That is just a fragment of God's beauty. That's just a glimmer of the fullness of God's beauty and God's glory. When you get to heaven, you will be blown away. Like, those things will look like trash compared to what is in store for you in heaven, the beauty that you see. And so... um, and so, again, that is, that, that's one thing. When you see beautiful things or hear beautiful things or experience beautiful things, um, that is a worshipful thing to point you towards what awaits you in heaven with Christ. Um, there is a physical reality in heaven. We're not going to be spirits floating around. When, when we talk about the present heaven... There's not a ton of clarity on what that's going to look like because the second coming of Christ is what you call the resurrection of the dead. And if you're not a Christian, you've never heard this before, this is going to sound like science fiction. But, um, but there's the resurrection of the dead. So your body will actually, it'll be you know, perfected and good in the present heaven, but it'll actually be even better in the restored earth. We don't have a ton of clarity, but we do know based on uh, Stephen's vision into heaven and the stoning of Stephen and... Um, and uh, Elijah's seeing the chariots of fire, that we think there is a physical reality in heaven. So, like, I, I love to think about really good food. Um, I love to go out to eat. And I just think about, I have this, uh, this fellow I used to work with named Brent Avery, and he would say, every, night of, every, every meal a banquet, every night a party. And uh, that is a pretty good depiction of heaven, in the sense of every meal a banquet. I mean, think about the best meal you've ever had. You made your trip to, to, you know, New York maybe, or San Francisco, or maybe Highlands and Grill. Shoot, maybe Saul's Juke Joint. I mean, I can get down with Saul's Juke Joint. (laughs) But think about every meal in heaven would be fantastic, right? It has a physical reality. And that is exciting. We're not just floating on clouds, playing, you know, harps, or living into a Michelangelo depiction in in the Vatican. Um, And then, uh, let's think. Anything else? Body physical. Oh, we'll understand everything perfectly. We'll have the mind of Christ. We'll, things will make sense to us. All the things that we were so confused by, all the things we were frustrated by, all of the, the lament and the mystery that we had in this earth, uh, we won't have that anymore. We'll, we'll, we'll be completely content with reality and we'll have a sense of understanding. That's not to say that we'll be as smart as God, but we'll have seen God's glory and our will will be perfected to a point where we get it. We totally get it and we're totally at peace with whatever happened in our life. Um, and then another thing we know that in heaven, um, that the, uh, the the people in heaven pray, they're praying for the church. So it's not like no one's looking down from heaven. Like my child is not looking down at me like, oh dad, you just totally botched that thing from Philippians three or, oh, Mary Matthews, don't worry. You'll get your... You know, you'll get your apple juice later. That's not that's not happening. But the the people in heaven do have some sense of what's going on, to the effect that they pray for the church, they pray for us. So I think I think my child is probably praying for my talk today. I think that that's a possibility. I, I'm I um. But but as far as like him being in attendance, like looking down on us, that's not happening. Um that would be, I wouldn't want to, if I'm with there, I don't want to, I mean, this is, I want to be out of this, you know? <laughs> All right, so then the restored earth, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on that, but the restored earth is when every people group in the world has heard the gospel, um, which is why the, the missionaries who are speaking in the dean's class right now, why their work is so important. Um, when every people group has heard the gospel, then Christ will return and heaven and earth will merge. And we will have, uh, you know, it'll uh, it'll be paradise on earth again. And it'll be great. And so one thing to me that is very encouraging about this and that helps in thinking about heaven is the things that you like to do on earth, I feel pretty darn confident you're going to be able to do them in the restored earth. If you really like golf, and I'm not meaning to trivialize this, I love to ski. I like to play golf. And I'm confident in the restored earth I'm going to be able to ski But there's not any risk of falling. There's not any risk of getting hurt because there won't be any more pain. All of the effects of the curse are gone. There won't be any worrying about, well, I'd like to ski for five days, but the budget calls for four days, you know? Not going to have to do that because we are co-inheritors with Christ. Everything that belongs to God, he shares with us in the restored earth. So that is something, you know, when you're trying to set your mind on things above in the way that Paul calls us to do, that's a good thing to think about. Unlimited skiing, unlimited golf, without ever throwing a temper tantrum if you hit a bad shot, because you're not a sinner anymore, right? So anyhow, so these are some things about the restored earth. Now finally, how how do we seek things that are above? Uh, What does that mean practically for us? So the first thing is, I would say that it is helpful just to learn more about heaven, to read more about heaven. Um, three things I would recommend. Randy Alcorn has a book called Heaven. It is 500 pages long, but you can really do a lot of picking and choosing because he divides the chapters. They're very short, and they're all very topical, and it's usually it's based on questions that people have about heaven. Like, will my dog be in heaven? He answers that question in the book. And so, um, so... I would say increase your knowledge about heaven because, like I said, I think our, our sheet here is going to reveal that the church has done a pitiful job of teaching. Now, I'm not saying like our church specifically. I'm saying the church as a whole has done a pitiful job of talking to people about the place they're going to live forever. Um, and so increase your knowledge. Read the book of Revelation. I know it's intimidating. I know it's scary. Um, but uh, if you get a good commentary or you listen to a good preaching series on it, it's, it really is more accessible than you might think. Uh, the, with the audio for this talk is going to have a link to a commentary that's very accessible on the book of Revelation by Vern Poitras. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's good. And so that's one thing you can do. If nothing else, you can just read Revelation 21 and 22, because that's where the most concentrated information is on the restored earth. Um, but anyhow. Um, and then also, to David Platt from uh, Church of Brook Hills, he did a series on Revelation. And while I was reading the book of Revelation last year, I was listening to the sermon series at the same time. It is very good. It can be pretty intense at times. But it, anyhow, it, it's, it was. I found it to be good. All right. A second thing uh, about how to seek things that are above good, um, is think about your life from the perspective as if you were in heaven. Okay. So an example of that. Uh, You know, when you're in, if you're a man, no matter what phase of life you're in, there's some financial thing that you're worrying about next. If you're, if you have small kids, you're like, how are we going to afford the house? And you know, and how are we going to afford a house? And then it's like, how are we going to afford all this little league stuff? And then it's, how are we going to afford college? And then, oh no, what are we going to do about retirement? Right? Okay, now let's think about this. If I could be up in heaven, and, uh, and, and like see the full glory of God. See just how loving God is and see just how mighty and powerful He is. And then look down at my worry, my financial worries. Do you think I would be worried about it? Like, do you think if I went to my son, if I could talk to my son who's sitting in heaven, he can see the full glory of God, do you think, and I'm like, Cam, I just don't know what we're going to do about this mortgage. Do you think he'd be like, I know, Dad, I'm really worried too? No! He'd be like, Dad, Trust me, God has got this one. It's, it's, it's okay. And so one thing to do is to think about your problems from the perspective of how you would view them if you were in heaven, viewing the full glory of God. Think about this, Moses in Exodus 34. It says, you know, he asked God, just give me a glimpse of your glory. And God just passes his backside in front of, in front of Moses. And these are the words that come out when God's glory is revealed. The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness so like that is uh that is those are the words of that just naturally emit from seeing the glory of God this assurance that oh he really really loves me he really really cares me he really has my life in his grip and so so that is one thing um a second thing is to um is to ask the Lord to give you grace and give you imagination for these kinds of things. Ask the Lord to to help you seek things that are above. To give you kind of to let your imagination wander into how good it will be to see loved ones again. How good it will be to not have worries ever again. How good it will be um, to actually see Jesus face to face. To see all beauty magnified to its fullest extent. Ask the Lord to give you grace to do that. And then the last thing that I would say is think about the restored earth because that's a lot more concrete. Think about the places that you go here and now, the things you enjoy, the the hobbies you like to do, um, and think about that perfected. Think about it better than you ever could imagine. And it's more easy to imagine the restored earth because we live here and we have concrete images than it is to think about the intermediate state heaven because um, we because we've never been there we haven't been there yet, and so the last thing i 'll say is this: love this image um i um i have I like to make appointments with people in heaven, so we were riding back from Chattanooga uh, um, from our mission trip, and we were all talking about how much we like to ski, and I was like, when the earth is restored, we're all going out to the restored earth equivalent of veil, vale, and we're going to have we're going to have we're going to have the greatest ski trip of all times. Let's do it. Book it. You and you and you and I right, great. We'll meet up in the restored earth. I know it sounds like it sounds silly, doesn't it? But that's a real thing. It is a real thing. You know, we're going to be there. We're going to be able to do those things and we're going to be together. And so the thing I love to think about is I don't I don't like to go there very often and um but at my son's grave. I went out the last time I went out there, um, I just it's like the Lord kind of gave me this thought of When the earth is restored, I'm going to go with him to Elmwood Cemetery. I'm going to dance on his grave. I'm going to taunt death. And I'm going to talk so much trash. Because that place will be restored. There won't be a grave there anymore. There won't be any sad connotations or associations. And that's going to be a real place. And it's going to be a real event. And if you all want to come, you're all invited. (laughs) All right, I'm going to pray for us. And... um, I think I probably need to let you go. All right. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you. Um, thank you that you've made this all possible for your life, your death, and your resurrection. And I thank you, Lord, that we have a home in heaven. I pray you give us the grace to imagine it. And um, I pray that this would uh, give us hope and comfort and joy. I ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, one last thing, Can I, if I may throw in. Um, this is a book called Safe in the Arms of God. It's written by John MacArthur. And it's about you know, the question do children go to heaven? And, uh, and in it, in he emphatically, John, John Carper, MacArthur is the biggest theological curmudgeon in the world. He's the least sentimental person. And he, he is like, absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. So, um, recommend this book to anyone who's ever had a miscarriage or had a child die early. And, um, and yeah, I'm just going to leave this on the, on the stage if anybody just wants to grab it. It's a, it's a free copy. So, thanks. God bless.